0: Hi, my name is Reverend Dr. Sally Douglas and I'm the minister at Richmond Uniting Church and you are welcome here. You're welcome if you're part of the Richmond Uniting Church community or if you connect with us occasionally or if this is the very first time that you've joined us. And you're welcome here today if you are full of faith or if you are full of doubt, if you're exploring issues of faith And you're welcome here if joy is really rippling through you and you are discovering rest and new insight or if you are just fed up or full of fear. As we say each week at Richmond Uniting Church, you're welcome here. Please participate as much or as little as you feel able. In this online audio worship, you're invited to participate so there'll be pauses in this worship and I haven't lost my place I'll be praying in those spaces and I invite you into prayer in those spaces as well as that you might like to have paper and pen nearby so that you can make your own notes you might want to pause at different points to discuss with others or to do some journaling or making some art in response to what you're hearing if you're at home you might like to light a candle If you're listening and worshipping as you go for your walk, you might like to stop for a moment to take some deeper breaths. Wherever you are, at home or out, I invite you right now to take a moment to focus your intention to be present to God, God who's already present to us, and to take some deeper breaths. Breathing in, right down to your belly. And breathing out. Remembering that Jesus speaks of Holy Spirit as being like breath and wind, ruah. As you let yourself sink into this time of worship, if you find that there's a particular worry or thought that your mind is really struggling to let go of, you might like to just in this silence, name that to God and ask God to help you to hold it. And if you find as you rest and settle into this space that there's a part of your body that you hadn't really noticed but is you know aching or holding stress, I invite you to relax that space and you may want to invite God to help soothe that space. And invite us to pray. Blessed Trinity, community of love, God of beauty, composer of all, we praise you. You come to us in Jesus, calling us out of violence and drawing us into the dance of your tender mercy. We praise you. You reach out to us in spirit, disrupting our fear, melting our frozen hearts with your song. We praise you. We come as we are longing for all that you are and we are still before you. In spirit and in truth this day Through Jesus we pray Amen As we gather today in worship We honour the people of the Kulin Nation The Wurundjeri people where Richmond Uniting Church is located And we acknowledge ancestors and we honour elders past And elders present and elders emerging We also acknowledge elders from across First Nations Where people are gathering for worship this day We acknowledge that land has never been ceded. We join our yearnings with the yearnings of God for there to be truth and there to be healing and there to be justice and we commit ourselves again to God's way. On the website, richmond.unitingchurch.org.au, there are some suggestions for worship music and... Um, There are always options, there might be particular songs that really connect for you this day So go with what your heart is uh, calling you to But the suggestion is an ancient, well from the 8th century, that's pretty old, from Ireland A Celtic hymn, Be Thou My Vision And there's a beautiful version on the website And what's particularly thematic about this choice is that today we're going to be thinking about power And about the kind of upside down kingdom that Jesus calls us to participate in. The upside down kingdom of God. And this hymn is about you be my vision, God. You be my high chief, my king. That's a really political thing to be singing and praying. Because it's actually saying my first allegiance is to you and not to any kingdoms, not to any powers, not to even any churches before you. Like you... God I sovereign in my life. So enjoy. Our first reading today is from Exodus. We're continuing on this epic story of the people of Israel. And um, we heard last week of, of Moses being rescued and now he's grown up and um, God confronts him in a pretty challenging way. I think what's really beautiful, there are so many beautiful things about this story, about holy ground and us becoming aware of how all ground is holy ground and being open to God's call to each one of us. But what I'd love to invite us to lean into as we hear this reading today is this notion of who God says God is, and it's just gorgeous, is this I am who I am. It's connected with the verb to be. So I am the God who is, I am who I am. You know, we can long to pin down God, but here God is saying, this is who I am, my name. And of course, it, for Christians, it becomes this touchstone as Jesus has this series of I am statements, in, particularly in John's Gospel. So I invite us to lean in today and listen for this ancient reading. It's Exodus 3, verses 1 to 15. Moses was keeping the flock of his father in law Jethro, the priest of Midian, He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why this bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. To the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors sent me to you, and they ask, what's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my title for all generations. Our second reading comes from Romans and Paul's ongoing letter to the church in Rome. It's Romans 12, verses 9 to 21. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be claiming to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. But take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing so, doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Our gospel reading continues in Matthew and this passage follows directly after Jesus and Peter have this conversation where Peter makes a declaration that Jesus is Messiah. Peter's in for a shock. Uh, Interestingly in this reading, Jesus tells Peter to stop you know get behind me and he uses the word satan um just a couple of things before we jump in and hear the reading in the common era when these texts are written this imagery of satan or satan is of uh, the lawyer the prosecutor testing people it's much more linked with the imagery in the Old testament book of job than the kind of images that have come down in popular imagination now with horns and red tails, all that kind of stuff. It's much more of this lawyer image testing to see if people are true to their in, what they say their, their intent is. And this language that Jesus uses of get behind is actually in Greek, it's the same language as follow me. So while it sounds like a straight up rebuke, it's actually this kind of disruptive invitation to get in line, follow me. Like, turn around and see what I'm on about. Let's listen in together, Matthew sixteen twenty one to 28. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your minds not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain all the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will pay everyone for what he has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. For these words of faith and Jesus the word. Thanks be to God. I'd like to invite us into some prayer and then we'll unpack this reading. Tender God, you come to us in Jesus' living word. Please, through spirit, break open these ancient texts for us. Open the eyes of our hearts. That we may hear your word to us this day Through Jesus we pray Amen So some words and teachings of Jesus That are recorded in the Gospels Have become so familiar That they've leaked out into popular usage And they're so popular They're so embedded uh, Particularly in English speaking context That people don't even know That when they're saying particular words or phrases That these are actually attributed to Jesus And in this process of teachings and words being absorbed into culture from the Gospels, what can often happen is that these words are entirely reinterpreted and actually pretty misunderstood. And one of those such teachings is in our reading today in Matthew. It's this notion of taking up cross out and about and you may have well had a conversation that went along these lines even in the last week people who have nothing to do with the church as well as some people within the church will say reflecting on their suffering or on the suffering of someone else oh well we all have our cross to bear we all have our cross to bear well while suffering is part of all of our lives at some point and some people go through an extreme amount of suffering This is not at all what Jesus is talking about in Matthew when Jesus calls the community to take up their cross. This has nothing to do with what's going on here. Nor is this language of taking up your cross and following and losing life, this is not a call to stop caring for ourselves as though self-care is somehow wrong, nor is it a call to put up with terrible treatment from others, to work ourselves to death or to put up with other people's violence. I know that across churches and denominations, these kinds of interpretations have been peddled. They have been pushed as though that's what taking up cross means, absorbing suffering or losing our own identity, not caring for ourselves. An enormous, enormous harm has been done to people in the process. So I know that these strange words can be a button for people. It can be a trigger to even just hear the reading, let alone exploring it. But when we keep skipping over these hard readings that have been misused in the church, I don't think they necessarily go away. They can actually get an even stronger grip on us beings on our hearts they can stick right into our gut even when we don't realize it so when we're able to i think it's actually better to face these readings with support in community like this to face them head on and try and read these readings in their own context which is reading them faithfully instead of just pulling them out of context in doing so in doing this work we can actually begin and it's a process we can begin to become free from what we've been told these words mean and actually hear them as they were intended in in their first context it's, we're going to dive deep today i invite you to buckle in we're going to go deep down into the context of the common era because that's where we begin to understand these words properly and hear them properly so the context the context is in matthew in the common era that crucifixion is common this is a capital punishment doled out by the roman empire and it's appalling and for jesus to even be talking about picking up cross and following would have been really terrifying really shocking because most of the people around jesus who were with him the disciples and others around him they would have seen this kind of barbaric state sanctioned murder people hanging from wooden crosses as they travelled along Roman roads. It was the kind of execution chosen by the empire not only to punish people who they saw as a threat, so it was reserved for people who were seen as usurpers, kind of like terrorists, you know, attacks on the state, but it also was used as a way to warn and deter anyone else who was thinking they might like to try and organise an uprising against the empire of Rome. So it's not only agonizing and brutal, it's a really shameful way of being killed. So when Jesus is talking about crucifixion, people are already living and witnessing this kind of violent brutality all around them by the state. Indeed, some scholars argue that Jesus wouldn't have said these words during his ministry about picking up the cross and following because he hadn't yet gone to the cross. So the words wouldn't make sense. I'm not so convinced by that. Largely because a whole lot of things that Jesus is recorded as saying don't make sense. Things like the first will be last. Things like the little ones are the blessed ones. Things like the kingdom of God is actually like a seed. Like these don't make logical sense in a a way that's apparent within the realms of our world where power is about domination and um, power over so often. Jesus disrupts that all the time. And this could yet be another example of that disruption. So this is the, uh, the broad context of the common era. People are being killed by the state in crucifixion. Jesus points to this reality. And this is the thing. Jesus is up front about what is likely to happen to him and what is likely to happen to followers if they are associated with Jesus. It's going to be dangerous you could get killed unlike so many leaders jesus is honest about the threats on his own life that will come and peter is utterly appalled by this and jesus is honest that it will be dangerous for those who associate with him here when jesus talks about taking up cross he is simply and confrontingly pointing to the reality in the first century being a follower of Jesus, this one who goes on to be crucified by the state, being a follower of Jesus, this one, and claiming that actually he was raised, and even more, he's the God one, Emmanuel, God with us. If you are saying your allegiance is to this one above everybody else, above Caesar, above your local priest, above your father, it's likely to get get you into trouble in your family, in your religious community, with your business or even with the state. So this is not a hard saying about I have a bad health diagnosis. We all have our cross to bear. It's nothing to do with that. This is not a hard saying about don't practice self-care, serve yourself to death. You know, we have record account, account of Jesus stopping from serving and resting. We're called into rest as is the God of Sabbath as well as service. Nor is this a call to let your partner treat you violently, as though that's somehow holy. In Matthew 18, and it's well worth a read, Jesus is entirely clear that inappropriate behaviour in church communities, things like violence, it needs to be called to account. It is not to be tolerated. So that's not what this cross to bear is about. In contrast... Here, Jesus is simply telling the truth to those around him in the first century that being a disciple, being associated with Jesus, will likely be costly, often life-threatening. And Jesus wants to make it clear that if anyone is following Jesus in the hope of honour and power, the hope of overthrowing the empire if they're falling because they want to save their life or preserve their status or elevate their status or have glory or take up the sword for liberation or they're in a disappointed state it's not going to be like that it's the kind of shock that peter is going through in this reading he's just declared jesus as messiah but he is appalled that jesus messiah is now saying yep and messiah is going to suffer It would seem that Peter assumes that if Jesus is Messiah, it's going to be glory, 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 and he's going to be right next to Jesus in this glory. And I wouldn't be surprised if Peter also hoped that this glory would include liberation from Rome. And Jesus is clear that's not what it's about. The way of Jesus, the way of God's upside-down kingdom that Jesus embodies is not about power over, is not about ego is not about glory, not even confronting empires, violence, meaning violence. Again and again in Matthew, Jesus is clear in his teachings and in his actions that the way of God, as Jesus embodies, is about humility and generosity and mercy. Mercy and generosity for the little ones. Mercy and generosity for strangers. Mercy and generosity for neighbours and the hungry. Mercy and generosity for sinners and outsiders. And even, even mercy and generosity for enemies. Why? Because Jesus says this is the nature of God who brings rain on the unjust and the just. And in Matthew, as we see pointed to today, Jesus will soon enough embody this mercy and generosity all the way to the cross. Loving enemies and even loving friends who betray him like Peter to death and loving them through the other side. This is the kind of radical divine love that we're called into to experience and to share if we follow Jesus and this is what taking up cross is about. Knowing the threats that will probably come. But rejecting violence anyway. And going the way of love. Taking up the cross is not a call to enjoy suffering or about denying self-care. It's about choosing to put down our swords. Choosing not to take up arms. But instead taking up the cross putting down our violence our competitive ego self-preservation actions and words and instead entering the vulnerable way of rejecting violence and force and hate and following jesus in radical divine mercy In Romans, we get to hear a kind of unpacking of what this might look like. Paul's writing to the church in Rome, both Paul and this community are beginning to actually experience some of this hostility that Jesus warns about. In the end, Paul's killed by the state because of his allegiance to Jesus. And yet here, Paul details what this radical mercy and generosity, this taking up of nonviolence, taking up the cross and not taking up arms, what it looks like. And if you listen closely, it actually sounds a lot like a description of how Jesus teaches and behaves in the Gospels. Paul writes, let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another in mutual affection, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, extend hospitality to strangers, bless those who persecute, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep do not be haughty associate with the lowly these are radical things that paul is saying in a really stratified and violent culture why should we be like this because this is how jesus the god one lives and dies and continues to be present in risen life that's why in jesus we discover the shape of god and what god's power looks like and we're called to join in to join in put down our swords and join in. Just an end note, Paul does go on to talk about the hot coals and in biblical circles that's highly debated. You know, you can spend some time diving into that if you'd like to. I, I personally think we could probably give Paul a bit of a break if he has a little bit of a sling here. and Paul isn't averse to having a bit of a slag off at different times. He's human, Remember? And he's writing in a context of loving enemies as enemies are circling in and his life is literally in danger. So I think we can cut him a bit of slack if, um, if that's what he's hoping, that there's some kind of consequence for those who are doing evil. But what he stresses is that we need to focus on doing the good and the good will ultimately overcome evil and leaving the judging and the sorting out to God. And this is the thing I just want to end on that's so important. To follow Jesus, the crucified and risen Jesus, is not just about picking up the cross and being open to entering suffering. It's also the call to follow right through the other side and into risen life. Now, here and now the love and power of God, this strange, gentle, unfolding kingdom that's not like the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom energy that's stronger than our violence and our hate and evil, this upside-down kingdom that we're called to participate in, not just uh, think about, but to join in with this energy of God that is pulsating within and among us. And that longs to embolden us and infuse us as we continue on this disruptive, compassionate way of mercy. Amen. So some wondering questions for you to take into your week and they're on the website as well. And I know these are hard things that we're talking about today and feel welcome to reach out if, if you would like to, to me or to other people, please do. Because these... Particular sayings have been misused so often, and as I said, have done much damage. So the first question is: How were you taught to understand the call to take up your cross? How has this teaching impacted on you? Does this understanding need to change in light of the um, context of Jesus' words here? So that's all one question. So how how were you taught to understand this call to take up cross? How has this teaching impacted on you? Does this understanding need to change in light of the context of Jesus' words? As Jesus is honest about the danger of being a follower, and calls us into nonviolence. And the other big question uh, that I'd like to invite us into is to sit with this Romans reading and Paul's description of living in Jesus' radical mercy. What strikes you? What What is hardest for you to live into in this list of you know mercy for living right now? What's hardest? What comes most naturally? And you might like to take that to prayer. And then just a little um, end note about prayer, because I think resting in God, resting in prayer, is where Holy Spirit can, can really begin to awaken us to what needs healing and also work with us for that healing. So as we put down our images of like Empire God, God of the sword, God who basically looks like Caesar much more than Jesus, one of the ways of resting in prayer is to have a prayer word. And you might would like to pick up this prayer word that is in uh, the reading, the Old Testament reading Exodus about Yahweh. Yahweh. So you can breathe this prayer with your breath, just the one word. And, and you can look at more resources on the Christian Meditation Collective. There are so many resources available. But basically invitation is to choose a prayer word and stay with it. And your mind might wander in all kinds of directions, but you just keep coming back to the prayer word. And Yahweh is a beautiful one. So as you breathe in, and as you breathe out, so I am who I am. So you might like to explore that this week. For now, we're going to have our prayers of letting go. It's not like some random guilt trip. It's between you and God and me and God for each and every one of us to become a little bit more aware. It's a gift of time, a gift of moment, an awakening to insight about what's happening for us and to invite God's healing directly into that place that is bound up. So let's pray. Holy One, Sacred Three, ground of our being, water of life, fire of truth. You come to us in Jesus and reach out to us in spirit. We praise you. In Jesus loving us to death, you disrupt our violence. You long to set us free from fear and hate as you call us to live more and more deeply into your tender mercy, putting down swords, taking up your nonviolence so often we resist this your work of grace we make an idol into suffering we do not care for ourselves and somehow think this is holy we cling to our swords and defences and turn others into enemies or competitors oh dear God where we are bound up please release us in the silence we tell you our truth Please cut away all that binds us in fear or hate. Please tend to our wounds. So that we may unfurl and live more openly and fully into your mercy. For others and for ourselves and for this good earth. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Friends, hear Christ's word of grace to us. St. Paul says, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to God's self, not counting our trespasses against us and entrusting to us, 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 the message of reconciliation. So hear Christ's word of grace to every single one of us. Your sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God. We're going to pray for our beautiful broken world and again today it won't be reliant on words i'll invite us we're going to start big thinking of our global village and then come in circles moving further into our nation to those in our community to those in our hearts and finally to ourselves And this beautiful Aramaic word has been on my heart the last few days, Maranatha. And it's recorded by Paul and also in this other ancient text called the Didache, which lets us know that it was part of the prayer life of these really early Jesus communities. It's Aramaic, so the language Jesus spoke. And it means come, Lord, come, or the Lord has come, depending on where you uh, put the emphasis in the word Maranatha. So I'm going to pray for different places but then leave space for your own prayer and then I'll say Amen and you might want to say with me Maranatha come Lord come, let's pray you who birthed this beautiful global village the incredible wildlife the towering trees and coursing rivers dear God we bring our yearnings for this beautiful planet to you We pray for political leaders around our world. May your golden healing guiding light be upon them. We pray for places where violence dominates in our global village. We pray for the calling to account of all leaders who are using violence to control and terrorise. May swords be turned into plowshares. We pray for our own nation, for those who are desperate for work, for those who are exhausted and overworked, for those who are falling into despair. May your healing light pour in. Pray for those who are gravely ill and for those who are dying. Especially those who are not able to have visitors, dear God. Give strength to their loved ones. And may they know your presence with them. May they know that they are not alone. and we pray for those on our hearts this day may your love pour in, may your healing come for ourselves, flood us with your grace, embolden us to join in more and more with your merciful way, the upside down kingdom. Pray together as Jesus inspired us, life giver, pain bearer, love maker, source of all that is and that shall be, father and mother of us all, loving God in whom is heaven, the hallowing of your name echo through the universe, the way of your justice be followed by all peoples of the world, your heavenly will be done by all created beings. Your commonwealth of peace and freedom, sustain our hope and come on earth. The bread that we need for today, feed us. In the hurts we absorb from one another, forgive us and help us to forgive. In times of temptation and test, strengthen us. From trials too great to endure, spare us. From the grip of all that is evil, free us. For you reign in the glory of the power that is love, now and forever. Amen. The final song choice, and I so encourage you to have a look at this if you have time, is again by the Porter's Gate, this amazing musician and theologian collective, really. They came together and wrote this beautiful music. It's called Have Mercy on Me, and it speaks of the radical nonviolence, the upside-down values of our God who comes to us in Jesus. Listen to these words. The goodness of the Lord is the kindness of the Lord. The power of the Lord is the meekness of the Lord who bore humanity with brave humility. And then it goes on to pray, let your mercy flow through us. So enjoy that, it's on the website. And a final blessing for the journey, friends. In Christ Jesus, God graces earth, disclosing the humble power and mercy of God in person. And here we discover the truth that greater than death is the power of resurrection life, stronger than suffering is the light of God's love, and more shaping than any human curse is the blessing of God. So friends, go with the tender blessing of God. May blessed Trinity, holy mystery, holy wisdom, holy flame be upholding you, infusing you, and igniting sweet mercy within you. In the name of Christ. Amen.